If you're in the text with me, Mark chapter 5, titling this one, uh, Lessons from the Graveyard. Uh, I had a subtitle, that a uh, sub-subtitle, as Josh says. Not just Lessons from the Graveyard, it, part of our miracle series. It's the last one. But I had a subtitle, and it's on your notes. It says, From Madness to Missionary. That's what this guy does. He goes from total madness to missionary in one few moments with Jesus. So Mark chapter 5, verse 1, the New Century Version, I think is going to be what you see on the screen here. Jesus and his followers went to the other side of the lake of the area of the Gerasene people. Now, just because I'm a teacher and I can't stop, I get irritated at things, and when they irritate you, you have to just stop sometimes. It says Gerasene. See that? This is in three of the Gospels. And here, there are a bunch of people that say, well, this is how you know the Bible's not true. Because one of the three says Gadarenes. It says not Gerasenes, but Gadarenes. Okay? I know that's a huge difference. Let me just clarify that for you. So, so when people say stupid things to you, you can go, you know what, you're stupid. You know, that's just, you're stupid. You don't know anything about your Bible because clearly you're just believing that the Bible's not true because you want to believe it's not true based on some wording in the Gospels that you think's inaccurate. But it's extremely accurate. Let me tell you what it would be like. If this event happened in Sims, okay, if it happened right down the street here in Sims, or let's just say right here in 8 Mile, if the event you're about to see, hear about, this crazy man that lives in the tombs, if that happened in 8 Mile, we would say it happened in where? Mobile. Okay? Or, if you're from 8 Mile, you might go, hey, that happened in 8 Mile, not just Mobile. No, it happened in 8 Mile, Right? Because there's a Gadarene that's the larger part, but within it there's a, there's a metropolis village. There's a little tiny village, and, and it's called the Gerasa village. So they're the Gerasenes, and if you, you're a Gadarene, we're Mobilians, but also some of you are Similians, or whatever that would be. I don't know. Simicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicicic
And the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, let us go into them. Apparently demons don't know a lot about pigs because that's not going to work very well. So Jesus allowed them to do this. The evil spirits left the man, went into the pigs. Then the herd of pigs, about 2,000 of them, rushed down the hill into the lake and were drowned. And we had this incredible barbecue that night. The herdsmen, that was my little interpretation of that, by the way. The herdsmen ran away and went to the town and the countryside telling everyone about this. So the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, saw the man who used to have many evil spirits sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were frightened. The people who saw this told the others what had happened to the man uh, who had the demons living in him, and they told about the pigs. And the people began to beg Jesus, need to underline this, to leave the area. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who was freed from the demons begged to go with him. One guy in town really wants to hang out with Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Begged to go with him, but Jesus would not let him. He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man left and began to tell the people in the ten towns about what Jesus had done for him. There's a whole Providence region there. And by the way, you can you can fast forward Jesus' ministry a, a few months later. He's in one of those towns that this man has association with. And when he gets, it's a Gentile town. So they, you know, the whole Jewish thing's no big deal to them. When Jesus gets there, they already know him. They come running up, the whole town comes running up to him. How did they know about it? Mr. Missionary, right here, madman that was a missionary, Told them all. Tell what Jesus done and everyone was amazed. So this morning we're going to talk about demons and deliverance and the deity of Christ. And then we're going to talk about our duty that ties to all that. So first of all, I just want you to hear about the destructive power of demons. The destructive power of demons. And they're kind of listed in your notes as truths. Truth number one, demonic forces are real and can negatively affect people's lives. You just need to get that in your head and when people that are supposedly educated um, in you know colleges and professors and people with PhDs and all that stuff start telling you there's no such thing as demons, all stuff you've made up or it's you know Old Testament stuff, it's stuff in the Bible, it's not really real, those aren't demons. Um, they're wrong. They're just dead wrong. And the truth is your your Bible will clarify that for you and God can clarify that for you and life can clarify that for you. There are certain forces in this world that are far more than just bad or wrong or sinful. They're pure evil. Pure evil comes across our planet regularly, by the way, nowadays. And with the media like it is, we get to see pure evil all the time. This man is in the tombs is not just sinful, but he's filled with demonic evil. Listen, he lives among dead bodies. He's comfortable hanging out in the caves, the holes in the side of the hill, where these dead bodies are. That's where he dwells. And he's comfortable doing that. He's comfortable with dead, with the images of the dead, with the smells of the dead, with the decay of the dead. I had a possum get in our trash can. I have a big plastic trash can in my backyard. I had a possum get in there not too long ago, and he didn't do very well. I don't know if maybe some of the detergent at the bottom or something got him, but he died there. And uh, I don't use that trash can very often, so going in my gate the other day, I was like, what is that horrible smell? I mean, it's like, you know, just feeling queasy when you walk through the gate. I'm like, something's... 
And you go, something's dead. You know, and you're looking all over like, what's died? Eventually, I look in the trash can, there's this poor little possum down there. I'm like, oh, you know, that's horrible. Right? This guy's comfortable. All that's fine with him. I'll just hang out there. No big deal. He's comfortable with the dead and the images and smells of decay. He's comfortable um, with hanging around things that are lifeless. Lifeless. He's often bound, it says, by the villagers. Why? Because he's a violent man. He's a very violent man. And apparently they take the brute squad at some point into the, into the tombs. Four or five big guys go into there, you know, and go, hey, we'll get him today. And they wrestle him to the ground and go, we'll just tie him up to a, chain him up to this tree and he'll be fine. You know, maybe we'll have mercy on him in a few weeks and throw him some food. But man, we got to do something about this guy. But here's this guy that it says he can break the chains. He has this, this superhuman strength to break chains. And he's defining the scriptures here as having an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit. That's actually the word for a demon or fallen angels. When, when Satan rebelled against God in heaven, and by the way, God immediately judged Satan for that and sent him and all the angels that were on Satan's side, they, he sent them out of heaven and judged them as fallen creatures, fallen spiritual beings. Um, there is a group of angels called fallen angels and they are demonic. They are loyal to Satan, the losing team by the way. They're loyal to Satan and they are they are completely tied to him, but they have no chance of ever winning anything. No chance of ever overcoming anything. You'll see that crystal clear. So here's this these fallen angels, these demons that are part of this man's life. He has, by the way, he has thousands of them. We'll see that in the text. And he has this superhuman strength because of that. We, we understand from the text that he stays awake all night long a lot of times. He, sleep, he has a lot of sleeplessness. Constantly, night and day, it says he was screaming and shouting. Screaming and shouting. And he screams at the sight of Jesus. Now, here's a question. When Jesus comes up to the seashore in his little boat with his disciples, and he gets out, it actually says this man ran toward Jesus. Screaming at him. How would a man that lived in a cave in tombs recognize Jesus? He wouldn't. There was no, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Jesus' picture wasn't all over the towns and, you know, on video screens or on wallpaper anywhere. There weren't posters of Jesus going, hey, Jesus is coming down, Jesus is coming down. That's not how it worked at all back then. He would have no, it's a Gentile town, by the way. You know that because there's how many pigs? What do they do for a living at this town? They raise pigs, okay? Not a Jewish town, not a big thing for the Jews. They're not allowed to be around pigs, so they're probably not a Jew in sight of this place. So here it is. Here's this Gentile town that's never probably even heard of Jesus except for maybe some crazy rumors that came in on some boats at some point in, you know, dock to pick up some of the, the pork meat and take it out where we're shipping it to. You know, here, here's the deal. And, and all of a sudden this guy runs. Well, where did he learn about Jesus? In the fall. The demons recognize Jesus, not the man. It's the demons who are doing all the talking, not the man. The man has no personality. He's not talking at all. The demons recognize him from the fall. And they come running out. And the, and they, and the man didn't know Jesus. So, G, but Jesus is timeless and these demons go way back. They cast, he cast them out of heaven hundreds of thousands of years ago. And so these demons have inhabited this man to the point that the Bible says he's cutting himself, says he gets rocks 
And he scrapes at his arm and he chisels on his arms. He tries to kill himself multiple times, gashing himself, it says, with stones, torturing his own body. In today's society, we would call him a sociopath. That would be the really cool term we give this guy. He's a sociopath. And we would evaluate him as insane and deranged and he would, he would be heavily medicated today. We would, we would put him under some sort of watch in an asylum and he would maybe get to mingle with two or three nurses at a time, but he'd be heavily medicated because he's very violent and he's just out of control. He's totally out of control. By the way, he's running around totally naked. According to the other two passages, he runs around totally. Oh, and in Matthew, by the way, there's two guys. I don't know what happens to the other guy. Maybe he runs off. But there's two guys that run out to meet Jesus, and Jesus deals with one of them very strongly right here. And in the two Gospels we are looking at, Mark chapter 5, um, you get the one guy's story. But he, is, he would be called a madman, a dangerous man. He's subhuman. He has this aggressive behavior. Um, Luke says um, sometimes he would break the chains and be driven into the wilderness and just run out into the woods and, and live there. And his public nakedness, the, the terms that are used in the Scriptures here, uh, mean, mean that he has a perversion. A perversion that's, that, uh, that draws him to this public uh, nakedness that he, he lives in. You remember Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God, God immediately put it on their minds and hearts that they needed a covering, so they did the fig leaves. I call it the original mossy oak. They did the fig leaf thing. And, uh, but then God actually had to slaughter some animals. First thing to die... After the sin was some animals, God covered them in the hide of some animals that were slaughtered for their sin. And, uh, and, and so we were taught to, the, the scriptures command us not only to clothe ourselves, but how? How do we clothe ourselves? The Bible says clothe ourselves modestly. Modestly. We're to live in modesty. Well, here's this man just running around completely deranged because the enemy has captured his mind, his heart, his soul, and everything, and he's lost in all this. He's lost his name. He's lost his personality. The personality, the demons have so dominated him that when Jesus says, who are you? He doesn't go, well, I'm Billy from the village. You know, I'm Tom. None of that comes out of him. The, the demons speak on his behalf. And they say, we are legion. We are many. The, the word in their term, in, in the terminology of that day, you know what a legionnaire is, right? It's a guy that's in charge of thousands of soldiers in the Roman army. So this demon is, is represented, this voice is representing thousands of demons that are in this man. Not five, not ten. We're, there's thousands of us that have tortured this man. Hence his condition. Now, in our society today, which is a little... Uh, you, you can find a bunch of this, and, it, and there's some cultures where this is pretty much what you, you'd see, pretty much this guy. You'd see a naked guy running around in the village, living in the woods, and going around torturing and terrifying people until somebody goes and, and either captures him or kills him. But in our society, it shows up to us like a guy that goes into a movie theater in Colorado to the uh, showing of the uh, Batman movie it was several years ago. He just goes in there and he just starts gunning people down. And then they put him on the, you know, put that you see his face and he's got a little smile. You know, it's like, hey, what? I, I didn't do anything. You know, all that evil comes out of him. That's demonic. That's not normal bad behavior. There's normal bad behavior, right? And there's this level of evil that gets extreme. You know, it's the guys that, that get in airplanes and, and fly them into the towers of our of our country and destroy a big part of 
you know, the American values. And, and there's people that, there's people that, um, harm children. Those people are evil. I mean, they're just off the charts evil. And there's demonic forces behind them. It's not just them now. You're not just dealing with them. And so, just, just as a reminder, demonic forces are real and they can negatively affect people's lives. Truth number two. Satan longs to destroy and damage individual families and communities. This community that's recorded in Mark chapter 5 is literally handicapped by this guy or these two guys if you go to Matthew. I mean, they, it actually says they, they don't go down that road anymore. We had to build a new road to avoid that guy. Imagine the tombs. It's like, hey, somebody died, but we're going to bury him. We're going to travel to the next town to bury him. We're not burying him out there because we had to deal with crazy man. You know, we're not going out there. So, and and he's actually, most people believe, most commentators believe he's killed people. So there's no way to even get around him. Um, and and so Satan longs to destroy and damage. This individual's very damaged. I mean, you can just tell a mile away he's very damaged. Let me just give you three little quick notes. Allowing evil um, to be accessed can open up doors for Satan to have great influence in a community. Allowing evil to be accessed in your life. Toying with, looking toward things that can be evil. I just want to warn you about stuff. Um, just as an old pastor um, who's learned a lot in his life, I have sat in an office where people had demonic spirits in the office with me. And actually, I had a, a girl, young girl, in her 19 or 20. When I asked her a question, she said, I, I can't answer that. And I said, well, it's a simple question. Why can't you answer it? She said, well, the guy behind me, guy behind you says, I can't. Says not to talk to you anymore. It's just me and her in the office and her friend, by the way. And I'm like, the who? The guy behind you. I mean, to her, there was a guy standing over me, by the way. He was standing there. Um, with a with his hands getting ready to go around my neck, and and she said he you know he he intends to do you harm. I said he has no authority in this room. He doesn't. You know I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, bought with the blood of Christ. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, bought with the blood of Christ. You can speak the name of Christ, and he won't bother you anymore. We had some prayer time. We laid some hands on her. We had some prayer. At the end of the meeting, here's what she said to me: "It's quiet in here." I said. Well, yeah, it's always quiet. She goes, no, 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 it's not always quiet in your office. It's never quiet at church. When I'm there, there's all these voices. I hear all these voices telling me to get out, to leave, to, to, you know, to do things, to harm people and leave. She goes, I don't hear them anymore. But again, she prayed under the power of Jesus, the name that y'all were singing, by the way. She prayed and was set free from that. So I've experienced a bunch of this, and, and it's real, and you got to be careful. Well, you had to go back to her life and go, how did you get into anything that would allow that level of demonic activity? You know, we had to look at her life. But you can, and I'm just going to tell you, the Internet is a dangerous place for this because it opens doors to evil, a lot of stuff. Okay, all the pornography that's on the Internet, that's just evil. It's designed by the enemy to take you away from God, and it's evil. And if you're struggling with pornography, you're opening doors to evil. Not just bad, but evil things. Allowing evil to be accessed. Uh, ignoring God's call for purity and righteous behavior. If you ignore God's call for purity, God calls us to purity. Not towards unrighteousness, but righteousness. 
And so if you're longing for righteousness, you're defeating evil. If you're not longing for righteousness, you're being lured by evil. And evil, the Bible says Satan crouches at the door waiting to pounce on us, to devour us. It's very dangerous. And lastly, just in Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this verse that says, if we allow the a bitterness or anger in, it gives Satan a foothold. A foothold. If we allow angerness, angerness, if we allow bitterness or anger, that's the right words, bitterness or anger into our lives to fester. Now I'm going to just sadly tell you, okay, I've had some of that in my life recently. I've had to wrestle some bitterness out so that I wasn't allowing the enemy to have a foothold in my life and take over Parts of my life that I would kind of like to be in charge of, like the joy, the hope, and the peace part. I'd kind of like to have that. You know what the enemy comes to steal? Joy, hope, and peace. So the minute I let bitterness build up, the minute I let that build up, there's this place where Satan comes in and goes, hey, I got you. I'm going to take your joy, buddy. All your joy is going away. And you know what I do? I, I, I'm, I'm All week long, I'm dwelling on this bitter moment, this angry thing, this thing that's got my mind wrapped up. And I'm no more joy, no more happiness, no more praises, no more, whoo, God's good, we're all good, everything's good. I get all freaked out, and the enemy has me. I'm hoping real soon, uh, maybe maybe uh, first part of next year, we're going to let uh, Mark Wadier has been working on a book called The Bait of Satan, and it's, it's a good book. It has some theology in it I, we don't agree with here. You can't lose your salvation, and this guy teaches that in the book, so I wouldn't recommend you just read it and go, oh yeah, everything's great. But it is a good book because it teaches the danger of bitterness in your life and the danger of allowing stuff to fester that you don't confess and deal with relationally and personally and with God. And the enemy can't have any more footholds. It frees you up when you get through that. So Satan longs to destroy and damage families and individuals. And he's dying to pick you off, by the way. You're, you're, on, you're on the target list because you're part of Northside. Northside longs to reach many people with the gospel. We have a plan, by the way, to, and a goal to reach more people with the gospel every week as possible. So you're on the list. You're on his hit list. And uh, you can just count on that. Truth number three. I love this truth. Demonic forces are completely submitted to the power of Jesus Christ. There's a thousand plus demons in Billy or whoever he is. And the minute the boat hits the dry land and Jesus steps out, this guy's running towards Jesus and it says he runs toward him and bows down. He didn't run toward him and go, hey, you get out of here. You don't belong here. You know why? They don't talk to Jesus that way. They ask Jesus to not kill them. They're actually saying in the text, please don't send me to the abyss. The abyss. Well, what would that be? That'd be where you're eventually going to be judged forever. It's recorded in Revelation. And in the, in the abyss is where their final judgment is. And what freaks these demons out is that Jesus showed up early. Listen to their, listen to their words. Listen to what they say to Jesus. They, they say, what business do you have with us? It's, it's a Jewish concept. That you came to do business with us. And they're, and they're actually saying, one of the texts, I think it's the Matthew text, or the Luke text says, what business do you have with us right now? Meaning, we know 
There's this future thing you're going to do that's bad for us. And it's to send us to the abyss. That's why they say, please send us to the, don't send us away forever to the abyss. Please don't do that. Right? It's interesting, isn't it? The, the demons have extremely good theology. They know who Jesus is. They know his powers instantly and they're submitted to his powers. Jesus is not the least bit overwhelmed by a thousand demons in one guy. Not the least bit. Those demons are immediately submitted to him. So we don't need to freak out about somebody that's got, you know, evil influences in their life or whatever. We just need to get Jesus in their life. It changes everything. Here's what happens though. Jesus, who consistently through the gospel is, gospel of Mark is confronted by demonic activity. Every time in the gospel of Mark they confront him, here's what they say. They call him the son of the most high God. It's an old Jewish term, by the way. They're, I'm just telling you, de- demonic demons are orthodox in their theology. If Kendall was here, he would love that because demons have orthodox theology. There's orthodox and liberal theology. Now, demons teach liberal theology that you should all believe God isn't real. Jesus isn't the real thing. He's just made up. He's just, you know, it's a figure in history, but there's nothing real to him. But they live orthodox theology. The minute the demons see Jesus, they go, well, that's the real deal. You're the son of the most high God. Please don't send us to the abyss. And why are you here early? What are you doing here now? We didn't expect to encounter you now. We expected to encounter you in, you know, maybe at the final judgment. That's the whole thing. We, we, you know, we understand all that. What are you doing here now? Well, Jesus is doing exactly what he came to do. And his business, by the way, is to judge the world and even the demons. The demon affected this man's lifestyle so that he had literally no personality. You never see this man's personality in this text till the very end. You never see his personality at all. And he has, he, he has affected the community's safety and all of that. So here's this future judgment that's being threatened on these demons. And then here's Jesus with his delivering power. Now, the purpose of the Gospel of Mark, it's written in the very first chapter, is Mark says, I'm writing this so that, I'm writing these stories so that you might believe. Gospel of Mark was probably Peter's talking while Mark is writing. Mark is the, the secretary to Peter, and Peter's telling stories about Jesus in his ADHD way, by the way. They're not chronological at all. But the purpose is that you might believe. Well, Peter, Mark, are giving you evidence of God's powers, of Jesus' power that equals God's power. In the previous chapter, Jesus has come into a, uh, got into a boat, fallen asleep. When he wakes up, the disciples wake him up and say, don't you care? And when that happens, Jesus stands up and he speaks to a storm. It actually says a large gale force storm. He speaks to a storm and he stops the power of that storm instantly. He stops the storm instantly because he has power over nature. See, Jesus has power over nature. Well, chapter 5, now he has power over demonic forces. And it's not just a little power, by the way. Jesus didn't, you know, it's like, it's not like the Star Wars thing where there's a struggle of good and evil. Oh no, the bad guys are winning. Oh no. Jesus shows up on shore and the bad guys, thousands of them who have this one guy captured in body and mind and soul and spirit, run up to Jesus, bow down before him and go, please don't kill us. Please don't kill us. That's how Jesus' power works. Isn't that cool? Jesus' power is that big. When we sing, what a, Beautiful name. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name this morning. That's the name. The name whereby any man can be saved if we just call on His name and trust in Him. 
That's the name. 1 John 3, verse 8. It says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy, the Greek word means obliterate, the works of the devil. That's why Jesus appeared, was to obliterate the works of the devil. Remember Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve had sinned and God's explaining to them, here's the bad thing, here's the curse that's going to happen because of your sin against me and my holiness. There has to be this curse and here's how it's going to work and here's the curse. But oh, by the way, there's a seed of this woman. Remember? Jesus tell, or God tells him in the, in the garden. There's a seed of this woman and he's going to do what? He's going to crush the head of the serpent. 1 John 1.8 is the New Testament version of that. 1 John 1.8 is, or 1 John 3.8 is Jesus saying, or it's John saying, Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So if Jesus is the true Messiah, if He's the true Messiah, He has to have power over illness. He has to have power over nature. He has to have power over Satan. You know what the Gospels are written for? They go, look. He's got power over all of that. He never struggles. When he woke up from a sleep, he spoke to a gale force storm and stopped it. Like that. When he showed up on a beach where a thousand demons came racing toward him, they bowed before him. They didn't threaten him or, you get out of here, you don't belong here, this is the Gentiles, we're raising pigs here, leave us alone. None of that. Jesus was literally in charge the moment he showed up there. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now is the time for the prince of this world to be driven out. John chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said, The prince of this world stands condemned. Condemned. Luke 11, if I cast out demons by the power, he actually uses the word in this text, by the finger of God, because it's a reference to how um, when, when Moses threw down his rod and it turned into a snake and then the other guys did it, but there's this conversation between them that he's using the finger of God, not magic like we are. He's using the real finger of God, is what the magicians say. So here's what Jesus says in Luke 11. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you will know that the kingdom of God has arrived. Jesus is displaying his power in Mark chapter 5 going, I'm here. That's why it says in the song we sang with Jenny, I know your kingdom's coming. I see your kingdom. You can see the kingdom of God when God does great works in a person's life and transforms them from demonic evil influences, from sinful behavior to righteous behavior. Romans 16.20, the God of peace. Paul writes to the Romans at the end of the book, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. Truth number four. The only power that can overcome evil is Jesus. It's the only one, by the way. There's no psychology. There's no psychological work that can be done for a person that's evil to help them. They can medicate the daylights out of them, by the way. There's no science that can overcome evil. You can't even socially engineer evil off our planet. It's not going to ever happen. All the people are trying to social engineer us and make us all better people and better people and better people. It's never going to get rid of evil because evil is a spiritual force and it's a spiritual force that's completely submitted only to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. So that's the deliverance. We, we talked about the, the demonic forces. We've talked about deliverance of Jesus, and it's awesome to me how Jesus just 
just sets him free. Just tells him, go out. And, and he sends the, he sends him into the pigs. And then there's this slope. There's this really steep slope that goes down into the, to the uh, sea right there. And all the pigs just go streaking down in there and plow themselves into the water and die. They drowned. Apparently pigs don't swim well. Okay. Demonic pigs for sure don't swim well. Now you say, and by the way, everybody believes in the commentaries and I agree. This was the village's pigs. They all farmed pigs and, and sold it. So, so it's like the economy of the village just ran over the cliff and into the deal. So you can understand why the village is a little upset, couldn't you? Well, in reality, okay, all of those pigs could, could easily be treat, taken, you know, out and, and cleaned up and used. The meat of them still good. Jesus didn't destroy the pigs. Okay. The meat of them is still good. So it just means they've got a lot to, they've got a lot of harvesting to do. They've got a lot of carving to do. They've got a lot of shipping to do. They've got to find some customers in a hurry. But we got 2,000 pigs we got to, that, that died today and we're going to slaughter them real quick and get them, you know, preserved with salt or whatever. So the, by the way, this sea that they were in has some salt in it. So that would help. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's kind of an interesting deal. Jesus sends them into the pigs and, and there they go down the hill and they drowned. Because he has power. But I want you to see the depravity of the community. Okay? And I think this speaks to our culture today. People can experience, truth number five, people can experience real Jesus moments and turn from it to their own resources and power. That's exactly what just happened. A demonically influenced guy that was terrorizing them day and night, screaming day and night, Living among dead people is transformed and they don't want anything to do with the guy that did the transforming. That's messed up. But that's what depravity is. That's what depravity is. People were afraid of the demonic man and then all of a sudden the demonic man is seated, clothed, clothed. Finally, thank God, he put his clothes on. He's in his right mind. He's clear thinking again. He's Billy. We got Billy back. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be cool to sit around and celebrate that and go, man, what happened to you? I don't know, man. This, you know, I was, last thing I remember was running down the hill to meet this guy. And next thing you know, he's, you know, hugging me and saying it's going to be okay. You know, I, I don't know. Let's, let's find out. And Jesus goes, well, I sent the demons out of you. I cast out the demons. That's my power. That's my authority. But they asked Jesus in the text, they asked Jesus to leave the area. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own ways. It's like the village had decided, you know, we, we've, we've got this handled. I mean, we've got a road that goes around. We don't really hang out at that, you know, that graveyard anymore. We've kind of got him managed. You know, he came in and messed up our deal and killed our pigs. We don't want you here anymore. By the way, it's really sad because think of the power that it took for Jesus to do that. John chapter 3, verse 19. Light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This Gentile village goes, we don't want none of that, man. I don't know what you did, but we don't want none of that. When they should be saying, we want all of that. Could you live among us? Would you hang out with us? You know, Could you just stay here and teach us? About where that power came from? How'd you change him? Romans 3, 10 through 12. There's none righteous. No, not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. 
They've all together become worthless. See, when, when sometimes when the work of God happens right in front of people, they just reject it immediately. That's dangerous, by the way. So it's actually evil. It's evil. So what's the takeaway for you this morning? Well, here's, here's the conclusion I want you to come away with. There's two responses that are in our text at the end of this text. There's a town full of people that want nothing to do with Jesus. And then there's this guy, this madman, who runs up to Jesus as he's leaving, getting in his boat, because the people don't want him. You know, Jesus never forces himself on those people. This guy runs up to him and he says, Can I go with you? Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I want you to go and tell your people. Go and tell your people what I have done for you. Tell your people what I have done for you and how I have had mercy on you. There's two responses. Run towards Jesus or push Jesus away. And the guy that runs towards Jesus, that better be us. Jesus says, now here's the deal. I need you to go tell people. And I don't mean just a few people. I want you to go tell everybody what I've done for you. What's he done for you today? I'm just asking you, what's he done for you? He set you free from your darkness. I was lost in utter darkness. I was blind. I was confounded by the enemy. I was in the second grade when I got saved, but you know what I know now that I've all grown up and read the Bible a bunch? I was lost in utter darkness. And He set me free. Jesus found me. I wasn't in a graveyard. I was in a classroom. I was in a chapel service at a Christian school. And He found me. And He set me free from sin and darkness. By the way, this is a Gentile culture. So this guy has no real theological anything background. Now I want you to think about what Jesus is telling him. And hey, I'm going to I keep using Billy. I don't know why. Billy, man, I'd love for you to go with me, but here's what I really need. I'm trying to get the word out about what I can do and who I am. So how about you do this? You stay here and tell everybody you know what I did for you and how much mercy I showed you. How about that? Well, uh, 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 I don't, uh, I don't know what to say. Just tell them what I did. Tell them who you were. Tell them who you are now. Once I was blind, John chapter 9, the blind man, once I was blind, now I can see. Only God can do that kind of stuff, man. Has to be God. Has to be the real God. Jesus has to be the real God. That's all this man has to do. Now, we have all kinds of reasons we won't talk to people about it, about Jesus. In a supermarket or in your neighborhood or in a community uh, event that you're standing around, you have all kinds of reasons like, well, I, you know, I, I didn't really go to Bible college. I really don't know that much about the Bible. And, you know, I don't, I, I just, I'm not that good with my theology. Neither is he. Matter of fact, he's horrible at theology right now. Horrible at it. And Jesus sent him out as a missionary. Sent him out as a missionary. You say, well, um, you know, I, I'm, I, my life's pretty much a mess and I'm not really good enough to, you know, kinda, I kind of live this hypocritical life. I, I struggle with be, being all that I'm supposed to be for God. And I just, I'm not the kind of person that should be promoting Jesus. Neither is he. Aren't you the crazy man that used to live in the graveyard? Yep, that's me. What happened, Will? This guy named Jesus came by. 
cast out the demons from me. Once I was like that, now I'm like this. Only God could do that. Jesus is God. That's all he would ever say. But we know from three chapters later, in the Gospel of Luke, we know that when Jesus shows up in a little village that's all Gentiles, they come rushing out to meet him with excitement. And the only person that's in, ever lived in that area that we can track Jesus' footsteps to is that guy. And the village sent Jesus and the disciples away. So it's not them that testified. It's this guy. He went from a madman to a missionary with a meeting with Jesus. That's what he did. He went from being a madman to a missionary once he met with Jesus. And he was on fire for God from that day on. And we should be. We should be. Here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. Go and tell. Don't keep a secret what God has done for you. He set you free from your sin. He's given you joy, hope, and peace, which the enemy keeps trying to rob from you, but he doesn't let him because Jesus is more powerful than that. You can tell people, man, I had a bad week last week. The enemy tried to rob joy, hope, and peace from me, but I, you know, my Savior, my Jesus, when he shows up, thousands of demons can't even confront him and win. They don't even battle against him. They just beg for mercy. You say, well, why did Jesus send them into pigs? Why didn't you just send them to the abyss? I believe in the ultimate plans of God. He intends to do to send them to the abyss. And he had a purpose for that moment right there. There's always a purpose in what God does. Jesus isn't just messing around. He has a purpose in what he's doing. And his ultimate purpose right there was to demonstrate his power and deal with that village. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, that village would have dramatically changed after Jesus left. One way or the other, they got a whole lot of, whole lot of barbecue to make, right?